So the last time that I was up, it was actually Graceperation, and what I did, I talked on the life of Joseph. However, I went back all the way and I had to do a little study on Abraham, a little study on Isaac, a little study on that Jacob guy. And you know that Jacob guy, he was the deceiver, right? He was a bad guy. <laughs> but God never told him it was bad. Do y'all remember me saying that? God didn't say he was bad. I mean, when he was running for his life, he lays down at night. And what God reminds him, the land is yours, the promise is yours. With Joseph, it was the same thing, but I had heard someone preach on Joseph, and I just never had considered, you know, Joseph, his brother, sold him, right? <laughs> it's like the heavenly, our heavenly Jesus, maybe heavenly Joseph. If you really read through it, it's so much like what Jesus did, because the brothers all threw him under the bus, right? But I had never really considered, you know, he was a slave. He was sold as a slave. He had nothing. He had nothing but a dream, but God was with him, right? That was the end. God was with him. God, the presence of the Lord, was with him. So today, I want to, going beyond, I want to explore how the presence of God is with us, too, that we have inherited the promise of God and that we have the new covenant. We have this new and living way that we are heirs of the promise. I came in to know the Lord in the 70s, late 70s, where they drank the juice, the Kool-Aid, and they all died. So our pastor was really, he was really big on this scripture. Let God be true, but every man be a liar. Not that I'm going to lie to you. I have everything up here, but always remember, go look at your word, because it is for you. And, you know, I'm just a man. God won't ever deceive us. We'll learn that here in a little bit. So Joseph was a child of the promise, the promise to Abraham. Abraham would be the father of nations and that God would give him land and riches. Joseph was a grandson of Abraham under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was from the great blessed family, right? <laughs> of the promise, wasn't he? And yet he was in this situation. And I had this thought, how did he get himself in this situation? Well, we have an enemy, right? <laughs> it wasn't that he did anything bad. It does not matter what family we're in. Each of us has to find our way with God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1, not many are wise, not many are influential, not many of noble birth. But then it says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us our Jesus is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. Each one of us has to find our way, and God deals with every individual heart. No parent ever need feel guilty concerning their children because it is each person's responsibility to accept the love of God because God deals with the heart. And every parent, you can give your instructions to your child, but every person has the heart. And we need to believe for those that we're struggling to believe for, you know, that God knows how. He knows how to deal with that heart. 
God's desire is for every person to receive his love. God's desire for Adam and Eve was good. But they chose to do it their way. Out of the garden they went. But God did not feel guilty because he had told them the rules. But they made their choice, and then they received their consequence. But God did not fret and say, oh, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. He walked in faith, believing that his kids would make a better choice, that they would think differently, think differently, think differently. <laughs> Remember when I did that one? <laughs> we repent, we think differently, that they would change their minds and think like he would. And it says this in Romans 1.19, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to each one of us, because God has made it plain to us in our hearts. And also in John 16, verse 15, this is the Amplified. It was Jesus speaking, and he said, everything that the Father has is mine. And that is what I meant when I said that he, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine, and he will reveal them to us. He will declare it to our friends and our family. He will disclose, he'll transmit it to us in our So here's Joseph as a slave. He's standing in the need of prayer. Anybody here standing in the need of prayer? <laughs> are we standing with nothing but a dream? Do we know who we are? Do we know what the promise is to us? Do we know what the covenant of God is to us? For with Jesus, we inherit heirs of the world, right? Heirs of the promise. We inherit everything. We are heirs of salvation and prosperity and peace. It is because of the finished work of grace, Jesus, he is our identity. Well, years ago when I believed God, that God was calling me to Texas, I was stepping out in faith and he'd given me several scriptures, but I was already had my, all my essentials packed in my car. <laughs> he gave me this scripture, and I love this one. Mark 10, 29 and 30. We cannot go wrong following God. It doesn't say that, but I'm just telling you that. We cannot go wrong following God. For Jesus said, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me for the gospel, will ever fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Notice there's no father because we have the father, but we get all this other stuff along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Well, isn't this what happened to Abram when he left Ur after hearing God tell him to move? He got a lot more. <laughs> He said, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldees to give you this land to take possession. Well, the first promise to Abram was that he would have an heir, right? And I have the scripture there, but you know, he was maybe grumbling or he was telling God, you know, I have no heir. So I guess I'll have to, I'll settle for this man. Well, God said, this man will not be your heir, Abram, but a son who is your very own flesh and blood will be your heir. And God then took Abram out of the tent, out of the house, to look at the beautiful stars up there and say, Abram, can you count those? Can you count the stars? If indeed you can, so shall your offspring be. It was a promise to him. 
In other words, Abram, I want you to hope, right? To have faith in me that I can do, no matter how old you are, that I can do far above what you dare ask or think, and that all things are possible with me, and that nothing is too difficult. Well, God wants us to hope in God too, for us to have faith in him too, to believe that God can do far above what we dare ask or think, and that all things are possible for you and you and you and me, all things. Nothing is too difficult for him, even when the things that we know are ours have not yet appeared but we walk by faith. Another place I love this about hoping is Isaiah 40. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weak. Boy, don't you know that today. There's a little bit of a suicide rate and then they got all this ungodly chatter, chatter, chatter of the world going on. And then it says even young men stumble and fall. Well, here through the COVID crisis, there have been a lot of sports young men that have truly stumbled and fallen. But those who hope in the Lord will renew our strength. We will soar on wings like eagles. We will soar on wings like eagles, because I was thinking at that moment about the chickens. We are not cluck, cluck, cluck chickens. We're eagles. We fly high. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We have to talk to our bodies and our minds some days. And then from the New Testament, here's Paul in, in Ephesians 1, verse 17. It says, I, Paul, by the will of God, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart, weren't we talking a little bit about the eyes earlier, our heart, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may what? May know. Here's another one. He'd already prayed that we may know him. Now he's saying that you may know the hope to which he has called us. He has called each one of us to a purpose. Don't let the devil cloud that over. The riches of his glorious inheritance to us, his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So God says, hope on. Hope on. Hope in the Lord to know him better. We want to know him better, don't we? We want to know the hope to which he has called us. Abram believed God and it was counted as righteousness to him and he received the promise. In Romans 4 verse 13 and most of these are all the NIV. It says, it was not through the law that Abram and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. That's where I got that. Heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham received the promise to be heir of the world through righteousness that comes by faith, and we can too. Now faith is, doesn't it say now faith is? Hebrews 11, faith is. Our righteousness is a gift from God. It is not anything that we do, 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 because Jesus has already done, 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 done. It's a finished work, done. 
And I like how it says it in the Passion Version 4, verse 13. It states it this way. God promised Abram and his descendants that they would have an heir who would reign over the world to rule and reign. This royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept the law, not in our own strength, but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith, God's righteousness to us. Where have we heard this before, though, to reign over? Romans 5.21, right? Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Well, how do we receive this promise of God? By being persuaded. That's what believing means, is persuaded of God's goodness by faith in his word, by taking all that God has for us. For when we ask, believe, we receive it right then. Doesn't the scripture say, when you pray, believe, when? Whether you see it in the natural or not, we already had that love demonstration. When we pray, we believe we have it. And then we have to go beyond our natural sight, beyond our feelings. Don't you know the snake bites was painful? Mm -hmm. We look beyond. Look here. We have a promise to be heirs of the world. So what does God mean by that? So I had to look up heir. And it comes from, in the Strong's, 2818, and it was Clayronimo. <laughs> and it said in the original sense of partitioning, getting by apportionment, a sharer by lot, that is, an inheritor, a possessor, an heir. And it rooted down to Clairos, 2819. And this said, through the idea of using bits of wood, etc., for the purpose, and I, I have no idea what that means, I went on, it said a die, like tool and die, so I, I started thinking about that, and I thought tool and die, my understanding, is a form. Well, we are all made in the image of God. We have different personalities, but we are all made like Jesus. And so then that made me go back to the bits of wood. I was thinking about that. And doesn't it say that we're vessels of gold and silver and wood? Well, in the olden days, they put all these little bits of wood together and they made beautiful mosaics. And we might all be of the flesh, but we're all together in Christ Jesus because we're heirs of him a portion, an acquisition, it says. And then it says, heritage, inheritance, lot, and part. And then what I love so much, cleo, it was a final verb of what an heir is to break, specifically of bread. Isn't that what we just did? We just had communion. We had communion with that bread, with the body of Christ, our communion with the Lord. To break bread, to have communion, is us being part of the family of God, of us being an heir, a possessor of all that God has, our inheritance with him, our heritage. And that reminds me of a scripture that says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, right? That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. This is our heritage. Okay, so here's another word on heirs in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sons. 
We are not slaves, we're sons. We are the sons of God. We inherit everything that the Father has, and in him we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. We are God's heirs, and we are co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we are heirs, we're co-heirs with Christ. And we receive all that Jesus provides for us. And his gifts are multiple. You know, it's that time of the year where we have trees, we have gifts under the tree. Have you ever known anyone to leave their gift under the tree? No, we all love gifts, right? And usually everybody takes their gifts. God's got multiple, numerous gifts. His gifts of health and healing, wisdom and knowledge understanding and love and peace and joy and manna, 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 manana, manana bread. He's the manana bread of life he gives us, right? So going back to Romans 4, verse 14 through 16. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. I don't want that. I don't want to depend on myself. I don't want to depend on the law of Moses. And then it says, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. We're in faith. We're in faith in God. Jesus did it all. We already had that. Look to Jesus. He has done everything. We don't have to be over here in the Old Testament doing, 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 because he done, done, done. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be Guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of us all. We are saved by grace through faith, right? Ephesians 2, verse 8. In Romans 4, 16, the passion, I didn't put it up here, but it says it like this. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. We have a lot of grace gifts gifts from Jesus, and now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. The promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also for those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. So the promise comes by faith. It's not by our performance. It's not by how perfect our walk is. And this is why when we mess up, we can say, forgive me, Father, but I receive your righteousness right there at that moment. There's no glory to God when we're in the mully grubs putting ourselves down. We need to look to God, say, Jesus, you did it. You took everything on the cross for me. I receive your righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right then, you pick it up and go on. I receive the gift of freedom that you have purchased for me, Lord. I choose to take of your perfection to walk on with no shame and no condemnation. So all that we believe and receive depends on faith faith in the fathers, faith in the Son of God, and even this faith is the faith of Jesus, the faith of Jesus. He gave us his faith. It's one of the gifts, right? Love, joy, peace, faithfulness. He gave us his faith. We don't have to work it up every day. It's a gift. Going on, Romans 4, 17 and 18 says, 
as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things into being that were not. I was going to leave that out, but it's like, how can I leave this out? This is the purpose of us as heirs of the world. We're to speak those things that are not as though they are. And that reminded me, I didn't put it up here, but 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So against all hope, Abraham, in hope, he believed, and he so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. We also hope on in faith. It goes on to say, without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead because he was 100 years old, yet he did not waver. Have we heard this wobble, <laughs> wobble? Here God says he did not waver through unbelief. When we're in Christ Jesus, God is not seeing our wobbling and our wavering because trust me, I've checked it out. Abram was not perfect either. He did a few things. Abraham and Sarah, it's faith and grace. They work together. When he kind of had a little, he rejected her and said, oh, she's just my sister. Things weren't working out for him. But when you got faith and grace together, all things are possible. We're back to Romans 4:19. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God being what? Fully persuaded believing that God had power to do what he had promised. He will do the same to all of us as long as we stand on the word. So let's talk about an oath. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful thing to talk about, the oath. <laughs> I used to think about this and go, oh, here we go again. But now I'm the one. I love to talk about the oath. You know, that one where it says, I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I put down, you know, the one where you put the hand on the Bible and you raise your hand, but I did look this up last night, and they don't have to do the Bible. They put it on the Koran. One lady in, who was some office, she put it on her phone as a tribute to Microsoft, and she had the e-reader, and this was back in 20, I think, 2017. So I think the oath has maybe been de-emphasized. I don't know. No one's words are important or valued today. Or this is just my thinking. <laughs> words, words, words. The power of words. The other day I was at home and I had a loose sweater on and it didn't have deep pockets, but I carry my phone all the with me because you never know when the phone might ring and you're there and it's there. <laughs> so I bent over and my phone landed on the carpet upside down. And pretty soon, hello, this is sa da 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 It just started talking on its own. It's like our phones. We have apps, and they are ready to talk to us, ready to talk to us, right? The world is on steroids with its words. But we have the word. We have the word of God. We have the oath of God. Our very own president, okay, <laughs> he has to speak. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and will do to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. He has to speak that. Speak. 
Hebrews 6, verse 13, we'll start. So when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, we never want to hear that really, but Abraham received what he promised and we do too. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath, I love this, the oath confirms what is said, and it puts an end to all argument. Ah, oh, what a statement, Lord. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to his heirs of what was promised, and he confirmed it with an oath. And so I just had to go and look up what oath meant. It was a number, it was horkos, from herkos, maybe? <laughs> a fence, a limit, a sacred restraint, specifically an oath. And then it rooted down to a boundary line. So going on, verse 18, this was so that by two unchangeable things, unchangeable, never changes, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or to deceive us. He's the truth revealer. He does not deceive us. We who have fled to him for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast. Here we go. The hope. <laughs> the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. It cannot slip. It cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence of Jesus within the veil. You know, anchors don't ever break, do they? On the ships? No, shipmen, Mr. Shipman there, anchors don't break. We are connected to Jesus. We may be a ways out, but our anchor is anchored to Jesus. Our thoughts are anchored to Jesus. Hold fast. It's a sure and steadfast anchor, this hope. So we have two unchangeable things from God, his promise and his oath. This makes it impossible for God to ever deceive us. Wonderful news. This is our hope. It is a sure anchor of our soul. Thinking on his word and his promises gives us stability. We need sound minds for the world that we live in, right? Okay, so that's my little trip to the oath. We're still continuing to talk about the oath, but now we're going to talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Do you remember them? New Testament. Remember Zechariah? Zechariah means God has remembered. That's what his name means. And Elizabeth, her name means God of the oath. Huh, how about that? Elizabeth, God of the oath? When I looked this up, a primitive root, to be complete, to seven oneself, to swear by yourself, to seven oneself because they declared something seven times and it was said to be. I wonder if that's why they walked around the wall seven times too. You know, that wall that fell. Also, it said to seven oneself, to swear, to adjure, to charge by or with an oath, to feed to the full, to take an oath. 
Also, the number seven symbolizes completion, association with God, or the covenant of holiness and sanctification. Zechariah, meaning God has remembered, and Elizabeth, meaning the God of the oath. They have a boy. Aha, uh -huh, they have a boy. And on circumcision day, it said they. They were waiting for Zechariah to name him baby Zechariah. <laughs> and who said no? Well, Zechariah, he didn't have a voice, right? He didn't have a voice. But Elizabeth, and what does her name mean? The oath, right? God of the oath. What did Elizabeth say? No. The line, remember the boundary line? No. His name is going to be John. What? We never heard of anybody by the name of, actually, you know, it was Hebrew, so it was Ianos. <laughs> I'm going with John. <laughs> she said, it's going to be John. And all the people are going, but you never had anybody named that. Well, ask the father, okay? So we're going to start uh, Luke 1, 63. So Zechariah, he asked for his iPad. Said <laughs> <that> a tablet? <laughs> a writing tablet? <laughs> Let me have my writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is J-O-H-N. Favored by God. So here we have God remembered and God of the oath. God remembered his oath and he brought about, because he loves us all, he brought about the favor of God through John. So the angel told Zechariah that John was to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. And of course, because the angel had told Zechariah, because he did not believe that uh, he was going to be silent until John was named. So as soon as he wrote, his name is John, immediately, <laughs> immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. Now that was maybe not a big deal to a man, but us women, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but you know, he had had time to think about whether he was believing or not and what he was going to say, his first words were going to be, right? <laughs> his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with Ah, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. But Zechariah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he started prophesying. And I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I'm going to do a little bit. Oh, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember. Zechariah. God has remembered, <laughs> and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abram, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. 
So Zechariah was proclaiming that we have a God who remembers. Zechariah, of course, meaning God has remembered, remembered his covenant, that God remembered his covenant. He remembered the oath that he swore to Father Abraham in bringing forth John, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from before his birth, to go on before the Lord to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This John, he was favored by God. He was sent to us. So the promise and the oath that God remembered his people, that we are favored. He remembers us. So now I'm moving on and I'm going to fast forward. John is birthed and Jesus is birthed. And then Jesus dies on the cross and he's risen from the dead. So do you remember when he's walking with Cleopas, the two? I think is Mary because I searched this out, but it just says the two. Remember when Cleopas, they're walking seven miles home and they're just depressed. <laughs> and this guy comes up, but he didn't tell him who it was. So they go home, right? And Jesus, Cleopas, and his friend, I think Mary, you know, they broke bread together. They broke bread. Have we heard that earlier today? They broke bread together. They are heirs, okay? But what did Jesus do when he showed them, when he broke hands? They saw, they, oh, we have heard, because he opened the word to him, right? He told them all about himself. But when he broke bread, suddenly he was gone, and they knew, we got to run back and tell all the others. Oh my gosh, we've seen him, right? Even though it had been a long day, I'm thinking they went double time. <laughs> back, back to find the others. And, and of course, when they got there, then the others, they had just discovered that Jesus had appeared to Simon. Now, Simon was the one who had denied the Lord three times, right? Whoa, I think Jesus came back to him first. It doesn't ever say that, but I think because Jesus is instituting a new way. Jesus has already died for all of Simon Peter's sins for rejecting him. I think he had a personal, little personal meeting with and restored Peter. I believe that he had probably opened up all the scriptures about himself to Peter, and then he did it to Cleopas. I'm not sure. That's just me. You check it out. <laughs> so I'm going to pick it up in Luke 24, verse 36. Jesus gets to the place where, I don't know if Cleopas was back there or not, but to where they're all assembled. And Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be to you. What? What do you think their eyes were thinking of? Oh my gosh. I mean, forgive me, but this would be like Mr. Bob walking back in today. <laughs> we would be going... You know, I mean, they were going, Jesus, we saw you on the cross. We saw you dead. We saw you put in the grave. We couldn't find your body. And what? He appears among us? Wouldn't our eyes just be going, and our minds would tilt? <laughs> I mean, oh, believing that, that Jesus is back here, it's him? Oh, my gosh. So he says, peace be with you. They were all startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why? Jesus, he's like, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? <laughs> oh gosh, they're seeing with their own eyes, but sometimes, you know, it's like, what? So here's Jesus, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I, myself. 
A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you definitely see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, hey, what you guys got here to eat? Huh? Oh, Martha, it's tilapia Tuesday, Lord. I got a little bit of tilapia right here and he ate it in front of them. Don't you think their eyes and their minds were dun, dun, dun? Oh my gosh. He took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Oh, what love. What he said at that point, he said, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you guys, you are all my witnesses of these things. You have seen it with your own eyes. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then it goes on to say, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he took off on them. <laughs> he was taken up to heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem to do what he said with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. In Acts 1 verse 4, it says on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, huh, where they have bagels and locks today, or, uh, I don't know, pastrami? He was eating again. He gave them this command. You guys might be hungry. <laughs> he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then going on in Acts 2, verses 1 through 6, it says, And when the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost, 50 days, Jesus had said a few days, when Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Think about the United Nations. How many tongues have they got going on there? When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. It wasn't a bunch of gobbledygook. We hear them declaring, what? The wonders of God in our own tongues. When we speak in tongues, we don't understand what it is, but that doesn't mean it's not giving glory to God and declaring the wonders of God. 
amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what in the world does this all mean? <laughs> and so going down a little further in Acts 2, I mean, Peter was the one who stood up. That's why I think God had to have restored him because he starts giving a little bit of an explanation and I'm not going to do his whole explanation, but I'm going to start in 29. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. For God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Jesus he was exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Seeing and hearing. What a gift. What a gift this Jesus gives to us. He pours out his spirit to mankind and he does it in multiple languages. We see and hear two things again. Jesus spoke of sending the Holy Spirit, our advocate, the spirit of truth to help us live in this world that we're living in. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus had said to them, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help us, to help us and to be with us forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Remember, Paul had prayed that you, we may know him better. Here's Jesus saying, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in John 16, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, but more than you can now bear, because we can only handle so much, right? But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide us into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Sometimes people go out to find out what's being prophesied today. Look at here, the Holy Spirit. When we're in the Word, He can tell us what is yet to come. He will glorify me, glorify Jesus, because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Holy Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to us, to you. We are heirs of the promise. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that you love us, Father God, and that you provide for us. Thank you for the promise to us, Father God, for your oath. Thank you for your two unchangeable things, the promise, your promise, and your oath, Father God. Thank you that for the anchor of our soul, that our mind and our emotions can be stable and fixed, Father God, as we're thinking and meditating on your word, Father God. Thank you that we put our hope in you, that you have given us faith, which we apply to your word of life. 
Thank you, Lord, for ministering to each one of us, to our hearts, Father God, and to all of those that we are believing, Father God, will receive or will come back to the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father God, for causing their hearts to receive all the love that you have for them. Thank you, Lord, that we are heirs of your promise. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. We give you praise and glory and honor, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.